here's a story of star-crossed lovers. Two meant to be one. Our story starts in 93. Here's Al Gore at the signing of NAFTA. In a few moments, the president will sign the North American Free Trade Agreement. The arguments for and against this pact are by now too well known. Good men and women fought on both sides of this issue. One of those on the negative side, Ross Perot. Here he is in the 1992 debate talking about NAFTA. There will be a giant sucking sound going south. Keep it clean, H. Ross. What say you, 1993 Bernie Sanders? That in 20 years, the United States will become a third world economy with a vast majority of our workers earning subsistence wages. It is clear that we not only have to defeat NAFTA to stop this trend, but we need an entirely new economic policy. But that's only one side of our story. The other 90s controversy that swirled and swirled and swirled was impeachment. Aye. Mr. Shabbat, aye. Mr. Shabbat votes aye. Mr. Barr, aye. Mr. Barr votes aye. Mr. And it was in December of 1998 that the House Judiciary Committee drafted three articles of impeachment. Mr. Berman, no. Mr. Chairman, there are 21 ayes and 16 noes. And Article 1 is agreed to. The committee will now consider Article 2. In response, here's Bill Clinton giving a very solemn statement. I must also be at peace with the fact that the public consequences of my actions are in the hands of the American people and their representatives in the Congress. Should they determine that my errors of word and deed require their rebuke and censure, I am ready to accept. But every love story needs a matchmaker, and ours is Nancy Pelosi. Here she is in 1998 defending President Bill Clinton. Because we are here, as we are here today because the Republicans in the House are paralyzed with hatred. Until the Republicans free themselves of this hatred, our country will suffer. Flash forward to yesterday when Nancy Pelosi is announcing the new articles of impeachment against the sitting President Donald Trump. On this solemn day, I'm, I recall that the first order of business for members of Congress is the solemn act to take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. At a rally in Pennsylvania last night, Donald Trump was not quite as solemn. People are saying they're not even a crime. What happened? All of these horrible things, remember? Bribery and this and that. Where are they? This is impeachment light. Think of the tragedy. The impeachment of 1998 came and went, but NAFTA has soldiered on now in its waning, dying days. Never have the two truly had a moment together until now. Here's Trump at that same rally in Pennsylvania last night. And I'm thrilled to report that we are on the verge of ending the NAFTA catastrophe once and for all. 
And only minutes after announcing articles of impeachment against President Trump, here's Nancy Pelosi talking up his new trade deal. There is no question, of course, that this uh, uh, trade agreement is much better than NAFTA. Impeachment is back just as NAFTA is dying. The star-crossed lovers finally get to share a news cycle decades after being minted by the same president. A true like-this-if-you-cry-every-time story of romance that could only be made in Washington, D.C. Yes, dear listeners, weep not for the years lost, but let's treasure the time they got together. And folks, it is at the absolute generosity and largesse of everybody who supports us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com that I am proud to announce to you that PX3 begins now! Hello and welcome everybody to the show. Very excited to have this one for you guys today. We got a lot of friendly voices. Jack Allison is back. You might have uh, heard our episode a few months ago about comedy and politics. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff because there is <laughs> uh, there, there's just been so many things. The Biden stuff, uh, uh, there's this new Pete Buttigieg uh, bread price fixing thing. We're going to talk about all of that on this show. We're then going to bring in our UK correspondent, Tom Merritt. We have the UK elections tomorrow, and that's going to be a major thing. It's kind of like a Groundhog Day, the way I think of it, these UK elections. If Boris Johnson doesn't see his shadow, then we are doomed to four more decades of Brexit. But before we get to all that, I want to address a breaking story right now. This on Politico is where I'm reading it. Written by Ryan Lizza. He's a very plugged-in writer. Biden signals to aides that he would serve only a single term. Now, this is one of those curious things that happens during a political cycle. There is this little kabuki dance of how much do I want to be president? How much am I being called to be president? Now, Biden has the complicating factor of being very old. But I remember Obama, after his election, there being reports and rumors that Michelle doesn't want to be in D.C. for eight years. There's a very strong chance that he might not run again. It's odd, though, to do it now, weeks before you have the Iowa caucus. And by the way, considering that this impeachment thing is powering ahead, we're probably going to get a full House vote next week, it looks as if Biden and Buttigieg would be the biggest beneficiaries of that, because Bernie, Warren are going to be off the trail. So why would you be saying that you are only going to serve one term? Because if you're only going to serve one term, and then four years after that, 
you're going to have to do a fresh start run for a president. Isn't that highlighting the problems with your age more than you would otherwise? Because initially when I saw this story, I was almost sure that it was leaked from one of the opposition candidates. You couldn't ask for a better thing for any of them, right? Because for Warren and Bernie, who are also old, it shows that they're not as old as this dude. And if you're Buttigieg or anybody else, you're like, yeah, no, don't worry. You can count on me for eight years. If I win the presidency, I'm definitely going to run for re-election. But this is not from them. The sources make it clear. These are prominent advisors to the campaign. That is the unnamed source in this story. Quote, if Biden is elected, he's going to be 82 years old in four years and he won't be running for re-election. Honestly, that's opposition research. That is what somebody would say if he wanted to damage Joe Biden and it's coming from the top of his campaign. The story also indicates that Biden is considering a public pledge. <laughs> just let me have it. I mean, doesn't that just kind of make this a make-a-wish candidacy? Politics! My first guest today is a former writer for Jimmy Kimmel Live. He is also a current podcaster and morning show host. He does Jack AM with his wife, Kate. It's hilarious. Listen to his podcast, Struggle Session, about pop culture. And follow him on Twitter at at Jack Allison, LOL. Jack, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Uh, thanks for having me back. Well, you know, uh, people loved you the, the first time uh, when we were talking more about comedy specifically. But uh, mm-hmm. I, as a as a devoted follower of your of your Twitter feed, <laughs> I uh, I wanted to bring you on just to talk a little bit about this this Biden thing. And so let, sure. let's let's start with the news that's new today. That uh, he, according to Politico, and you know, if I'm going to do the cursory reading of where the story is coming from it seems like it's from within the biden campaign yeah to yeah, say it's all that like the aids and shit yeah i mean it's not because theoretically if you would read a headline that said joe biden will only serve one term he's telling his aides you would assume it's from you know warren or bernie or pete or somebody that would benefit from that because warren no, and- i think that they think this is a benefit to them to yeah. like have this out there oh no it's it, really it, bizarre yeah because when you read it you're like oh no this was from them like, this yeah, is yeah. not from somebody else. No, uh, this is, like, in response to the criticism that he's, like, too old to uh, uh, be president or that he's falling <laughs> apart or, you know, uh, things like that. Look, I, you know, I, uh, uh, I it's in a very strange week. It's it's a really, really weird time in this in this uh, in this primary. And it does feel like it's, like, really starting to pop off uh, yeah. uh, for the first time. But, yeah, where we're left is, you know, Biden is sort of the presumptive front runner um, and he is not with it and he's yeah. like freaking out at people and calling them fat and shit like that. <laughs> well, that's uh, well, we're we're, we're going to we're going to get to that in a second because that that is the 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 bizarre thing is is that Biden is the front runner except for the fact that there's a very legitimate shot that he will finish either third or fourth in the two most famous primary states uh which tend to dominate the news and the media uh, uh narrative for the next, you know, however many weeks. Right. Uh and and yet he is just sort of it feels like he's playing from behind. I mean, I guess he is being brought to a lot of pressure. And I guess here's where I'll ask you the question, because this is where I think we come to an agreement. Biden is protected by 
uh, certain media narratives. And- Absolutely. Look, I, I, I 100% think that, you know, we're giving, like, uh, my belief is is that the folks in, like, corporate media, you know, don't want a Warren or a Bernie Sanders presidency or whatever. And so they have been, and, and I think that they also are receptive to this criticism that they in some way tanked Hillary's campaign by being too hard on her about the emails or something like that, which yeah. I just you know, fundamentally disagree with. Uh, yeah. But so I think that they're trying to kids glove this guy because they don't because they don't want to, like, hurt his chances. And I think that really what I mean, I don't know that he will win the primary at this point. And I, and I think he I think he may not. Um, I, I think it seemed a little more likely a couple months ago that he was going to skate through the primary. And it feels a little less likely now. But if he does, all that that will have accomplished is like getting us through the primary with someone who's basically not vetted. You know what I mean? It doesn't have is not vetted against like the various attacks and look you know we'll get to this thing about him calling the guy fat but even aside from him calling the guy fat or whatever the guy was asking him questions that he's going to be asked every single day on this campaign and he flipped out the way he did because the media doesn't ask him these questions because they're like kids gloving him yeah and and that's i guess so so that's that's the big thing is that to me the reason why, if I'm going to uh, ask myself, why is the Biden campaign acting so erratically? Why is Biden acting acting so erratically? It's because, you know, the, the impeachment thing opened up Pandora's box on Hunter Biden. What, you know, whether or not you can skip through the part of like, well, Hunter Biden was in sure. Ukraine. And of course, nothing was wrong, right? Because that, that's always the thing that happens. As soon as you mention right. Hunter Biden was in Ukraine, it's almost like dot, dot, dot. Oh, uh, but frankly, nothing was wrong, of course. On, on you know, corporate news and, you know, CNN and MSNBC and, every, you know, the, the various sort of like pseudo liberal leaning centrist leading corporate news channels yeah. will yeah always no matter what in the same breath be like which is an unproven conspiracy theory it's like <laughs> well dude like i i don't know like you know maybe it's an unproven conspiracy theory but guys at Burisma said they did hire him to get access to his father and like the thing to talk about maybe is like if that was fully legal is it like okay you know what I mean I think that's more what we're sort of like shaking out right now is whether people think that that's like acceptable or appropriate especially now that this kind of like self-dealing and self-enrichment from office is like so top-lined uh, uh, now that Trump's in office and people care about it for the first time well, and beyond that let's say it's an unproven conspiracy theory it also now makes Hunter Biden a talking point, and you don't have to do but three or four really? Googles to find out that that dude has had a rich, colorful history of doing Look, things that would distract from a presidential campaign. He's a tire doing, fire. Doing, doing drugs is very cool. Uh, <laughs> hanging out at strip clubs is very cool. You know, even that article where it's like they use a sex toy on Hunter in New York, I'm like, wow, Hunter is badass. Like, I, mean, I, I don't Hunter's like a hang. Hunter. Like, Hunter seems like fun or whatever, but yeah, I'm like, I think it does raise some issues when you're both trying to make the argument that Hunter was on the board at Barisma because of his like unique talent and because, you know, of his uh, uh, qualifications, while also at the same time he was relapsing on crack. Uh, <laughs> yes. I just don't know. Like the whole thing, it's like. I, 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 and I don't know. Again, it's like one of these things where it's like just at a gut level, people understand that it doesn't feel right. And so for yeah. him not to have some kind of real explanation for it, even if it doesn't like technically reach the letter of being illegal because there is so much self-dealing in Washington, uh, you know, I think it's going to be something that he has to deal with. And it's a top of mind on everybody uh, for everybody. I mean, if I have my timeline right, Hunter Biden knocked up a stripper and then denied the parentage of that stripper 
within the time that his father had hired campaign like yeah. uh, officials. Yeah. Like this I mean, happened also, like, like not forever was... ago, like recently. Like just I mean, and even even the thing, you know, even when he was on Barisma, it's like that lines up completely with like his relapse into crack and he wasn't at any of the meetings or anything like that. And it's like, so you know. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, we can do this thing like with Hillary Clinton's emails where we do a full court press just insisting that it's not important and that it's yes. a nothing burger. Yeah. Um, or we can actually like address like what normal people are seeing and like do recognize as an issue. Like the Democrats love to do this thing where they are like, you know, where they get criticism and they're like, that criticism doesn't exist. It's just not true <laughs> yes, or whatever. Exactly. Like, that's the same as Hillary running on, you know, America is already great. Like, it's nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it's out there. Biden, again, we'll, uh, we'll be getting to this, you know, guy calling the guy. Let's fat, go. Let's like go. Let's go. Let, yeah, let, let's 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 go ahead. For, for those of you who are unaware, obviously, Joe Biden at a campaign stop in Iowa, a guy starts asking him about Hunter Biden and Joe flips out, calls him sedentary. And then yeah. fat, and this is where I think you're going to go, where now it just becomes this 1984 doublespeak that anybody that's formally talking to the Biden campaign can't even say that he called him fat because they're just, you know, convinced that it's like, oh, no, he said facts. He and didn't also say fat. they are sort of like collaborating in this. Like, I'm like, I was personally posting like I saw I took the video myself of, of there's video of him at this campaign town hall or whatever. And I like subtitled the video and you can see that Joe Biden calls him sedentary and challenges yeah. him to a race and everything. I have not seen it anywhere on any news that they that Biden called the guy sedentary. I've only seen them repeat this campaign spin that Biden actually actually said facts or whatever. And it's like, I don't know, like if you're not colluding with the campaign to like cover and kids glove for Joe, then, like, you know, we could actually have the conversation about, like, it's very clear that he was insulting the guy and calling him I fat mean, it's, and, it's, like, yeah. nearly called him fat, like, multiple times before blurting it out. Uh, and nobody wants to have that conversation. Even that NPR interview, you know, where that reporter does go kind of hard on Biden. She, she, had, she had to dance. She had to dance she around had to it. Dance. She yeah. had to be like, she had to be like, now, if someone started asking you a question and it's based on false conspiracy theories and lies or whatever, and then Biden gets to be like, well, you even said it was lies or whatever. Yeah. I'm like... They're kids gloving this guy like he is like straight up. That's a deplorables moment two months before the first election. Like we're going to get like one a day if this guy is the nominee. Uh, I mean, it, it, it blows my mind. I mean, and this is just a general campaign theory for me is that you are you're there's no scandal that will sink you. There are only poor reactions to things that will sink mm -hmm. you. And that to me, that, that that's what defined Hillary. You said it before. That the issue there was that, okay, she's got this email thing. Just say you're right. sorry. Just say, right. I shouldn't have done it. I, 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 you know, the previous president, Colin Powell told me, if I could do it again, I wouldn't do it. That's right. that. Right? Like, right. at least uh, understand. The never, it's the we can't ever accept anything and, like, yes. have to just fully shut it down 100%. That is like, well, now everyone's like, well, you're kind of like. You know, not to use to uh, uh, you know a sort of like pop science term, but it's like you feel like you're gaslit. Like yeah. you're like, well, like I see what happened in like reality. You know, we all can see with our eyes what happened in reality. And you know, it, it is the kind of thing where it's like, you know, I, I I've talked about this before, but you know, 
you know, we talk about North Korea having state-run media and everything like that. But yeah. what we have in the United States is like for at least for popular media and like what you'll see on television and you know, sort of well-funded uh, uh, media sources is we have like corporate-run media and like with and 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 in America, like the corporate corporations like have such a hand in our government that like. There is almost no functional difference between state-run media and corporate-run media at this well, point. You yeah, know what I mean? I'm certainly. like, we're we're just sort of being like fed uh, uh, very specific things to like meet a narrative, whether it's sort of the you know pro-capital one that's like slightly more left-leaning or the hardcore <laughs> far-right pro-capital one. Well, you know, I, I I look at the Biden stuff, and what I see is a bunch of people who are scared about access, right? Like like yeah. even even that NPR lady. She knew there, mm-hmm. there's there, there's two things going through her mind from my perspective. Right. Number one, if she says fat, now it's an argument argument with him about whether or not he said fat. And he's going to say, right. I said facts. And now that's your soundbite is him arguing about fat versus facts. Right. Uh, but also it's I don't want to lose my opportunity to I don't talk want to, to kick him. off the bus. They're on a yes, moving bus. They're on a they're bus. They're on a moving bus together in the thing. Like, this is access journalism. Yes. Like, this is the Straight Talk Express or whatever. And and on, to a certain extent, there's only so much you're going to be able to get around that on a campaign where they're the ones sure. making news, right? Yep. Uh, uh, you're going to have to have some kind of agreement uh, with, with you know, if you want to get access to the candidate. Although, at least the, 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 the positive trend is it seems like more access is... A, more of a recipe to success, which is what makes this Biden thing so puzzling, is right, that right. is that th- th- they just want to manage every little element of it. Look, this Biden thing is strange, and and I I I will be straight up in my opinion that I'm like I do think that Biden and like you know my you know uh, I've I've seen a little bit of this, but I do think that Biden is suffering. I I, th- I th- believe from dementia. You know, there was a big sort of laundering article in the uh, uh, oh the, in the stuttering Atlantic about the his stuttering. stuttering or whatever, which I think is so <laughs> cynical and. Fun. Up, you know, but 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 you know, looking at this interview with him and the NPR person, and then also with this voter, I'm like, I swear to God, this guy's like getting a little bit like sort of nasty dementia. You know what I mean? Like this is somebody who's like, you know, first reaction is like being uh, pissed off and kind of like insulting people and stuff like that. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I I don't know if I'm willing to go so far as dementia, but I do think that if you look at his old, I mean, if you look at him as a young politician, he was always a a, a rambly guy. Yes. Like, yes. Uh, he was just always he had enough sort of like charm Charisma, to sort of sure. yeah to sort of uh, 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 you know paper over it. Uh, the problem now is that, I mean, it, this is just such a bizarre primary. Uh, uh, just even even the idea that like a he is this sort of, uh, and a metaphorical corpse, a shambling corpse of what should have been his campaign four years ago that he didn't yeah. run, uh, when it would have at least made sense because he would have yes. been the legacy of a you know administration that was popular. Uh, he is the VP. You know, you kind of run the VP. Yes, <laughs> usually know, traditionally, traditionally, what happens, uh, and now here we are, and and also I have no idea why it's like, hey, look, for the Hunter thing, put him in a rehab somewhere. Far away, like just why is Hunter like going on TV? Like Hunter did like an interview. I'm like, man, like why is Hunter around? Just go. (laughs) Just I mean, if you put him in a rehab and say, hey, look, he's got a serious drug problem. Yeah, we're working through it. Uh, and uh, then do 
some family interview where you talk about the fact that he did start sleeping. He broke up his own family to sleep with his dead brother's widow. Like, Good Lord. Uh, you know, like, do, do something like that. But just get the blood, let it. Let it out. Let it go. Uh, uh, right. and, and then I think there's there at least you can focus on the issues there. All right. I, I, I know we only have a, a little bit more time, and I do want to switch to Pete Buttigieg because uh, you are uh, a Bernie Sanders supporter, and, oh, and yeah. Pete Buttigieg right now is the new public enemy number one, right? <laughs> well, look, you know, uh, uh, there's a pretty good track record thus far, to be honest with you, uh, uh, with candidates. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Beto was uh, was public enemy number <laughs> one for a little a little while. Oh, uh, come on. He and Beto should have stayed home and ran for Senate again. You know, there's, there's no reason yeah. for him to for him to be out here like i'm fine with beto you know in texas like when he's running in texas i was like well that's good he seems like better than ted cruz and texas is sort of moving blue i i get it or whatever but yeah beto not that's not for real um <laughs> and then yeah you know kamala was the target for a little while yeah. and you know i really do think i'm like i think kamala dropping out is like a a big sort of turning point and like indicator of the sort of way that things are are going with this election. I re I really do actually, you know, especially for Kamala to have been the sort of like heir apparent to Hillary and you know the kind of like uh, you know this person who had like hired a lot of uh, uh, former Hillary Clinton staffers and stuff yeah. like that. You know, for for this for her campaign to like tank as badly as it did. Um, and as early as it did uh, to like sort of stunningly and quickly run out of money. Uh, yeah, I think it, it matters. I do think it matters. Well, just because she was the the, the, the natural new progressive or new new moderate uh, I, centrist I that, liberal you know, the, icon. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the sort of like and also she kind of represented the avatar of like who, like I would say, sort of establishment Democrats and like the DNC were kind of putting forward. You know yeah. what I mean? This was the sort, you know, I think Kamala, you know, never really caught on and had this kind of, you know, I think that Kamala kind of actually does represent exactly the kind of like liberal Democrat politician that like people, you know, in power and maybe on the coasts like think is a Democrat that people like, but that is not at all. The kind of Democrat that people actually like. And then I also do think, you know, that uh, um, it does reflect in a very big way that the, you know, conversation around police work and that like the public perception of police work um, actually has shifted, you know, post Black Lives Matter and that, yeah. you know, Black Lives Matter actually was more than like just the D-Ray hashtag or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I think she would have she would she would have done better. Think. She would have done better if she ran as a cop, though, like and wore you know, a hat and stuff. I, you know, she probably would have done better in South Carolina. She would have been hit just as hard. Uh, uh, I, I just don't know. I just don't because, know. Because you know I don't. Because I, mean? I, I don't think there's any way to run away from it. Uh, she she kind of tried to dance a little bit more on the progressive side at the very very uh, early end of this, yeah. and then wound up having to kind of moonwalk it back. Well, but, I actually think right at the beginning she was trying to go progressive. Like she yeah, announced yeah. like you know that she was for Medicare for all, and then walked that back like yeah. immediately after saying that we should uh, do away with insurance companies and everything like that. Like I I, I mean you know. One of Kamala's biggest issues, uh, and this I think also reflects a sort of like common failing of the Democrat Party, is that uh, she was running on nothing. 
<laughs> Kamala was running on not a single thing, not one idea. She never expressed uh, what she wanted to do as president. And in fact, I don't actually think I heard any policy from her other than uh, like that Trump should be banned on Twitter. You know what I, I mean? And I, so I, I think could Kamala not represent. Yeah, could not believe that. Like that because insane. that was I mean, it was you know, after it was after she fired her campaign leadership. So yeah. theoretically, and this is another one of my beliefs that like you know Bernie has the heart attack, right? And yeah. You you have this these these decision gate moments where you're either going to react well to, to a, sure. a, a, a thing that you couldn't control or poorly to it. And Kamala Harris firing her campaign people, it's like, okay, you want to know what? In the eye of the public, this is any sins of the past. You can now step your first uh, steps forward. And the first thing she does is that Donald Trump should be banned on Twitter. I'm like, you're done. That's it. Yeah. If if that's yeah. if that's the idea that you have coming out of a crisis, then we're we have nothing else to talk. Well, about. Well, and look, Kamala Harris's campaign was run by her sister. You know what I mean? And so this yeah. is like, this is the Democrat thing. Like they think. You know, I, I really think Kamala Harris also kind of represents the kind of belief, you know, with uh, uh, some establishment Democrats and, you know, kingmakers, I guess, in the party that demographics are destiny. And that's what they lost on in 2016. You know, this idea that the like, Obama coalition know, that we yeah, that's that, what we like, have to protect. You know, and or even that, you know, every, you know, African-American person will like vote for an African-American candidate. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think that's like what Kamala was banking on so heavily is that she would like do really well in South Carolina where she just like never ended up with any support at all. You know what I mean? And also, you know, she banked on California for whom, for you know, the state for which she is like senator yeah. and ended up polling lower than Yang. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I you know, I. I Kamala, I really do think, you know, Kamala got hit so hard and did such a bad job with it that I, I think she might get primaried, to be honest with you. Well, like, Steyer, that's the rumor. The rumor is Steyer. Yeah, that's what they're saying in that New York Times article. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think she'll get, I think that she'll get primaried um, unless she like, unless they get. Trump impeachment to the Senate, which it looks like they will, and she gets some like really good TV moments or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's but that's, really but good that's those so kind of like scripty moments. Yeah, that's so far from now though. Like, like two yeah. years. You know, we'll, we'll see where she is senatorially at that point. Right. But but all right, Buddha Judge. Then Buddha Judge sure. now is if if if, if, if it's if it's set him set him up and knock him down. You got Beto. You got Kamala. Now it's Mayor Pete. Now it's time for Mayor Pete. Now look, Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete. I, I truly think that Mayor Pete is a total snake he's like this you know <laughs> you know he is like the management class this is like the kind of guy who at mckinsey did you know move spreadsheets around or move numbers around on a spreadsheet that had like actual tangible effects on real life like pete Buttigieg to me is like is like george clooney and up in the air or something like that you know uh -huh. what i mean like uh, uh i think that pete Buttigieg is like you know at this point in the primary is sort of like actively working against progressive interests um, and mostly is just running a campaign to scare Iowan grandmas into thinking they're going to lose their health care to see if he can eke out a win in in one of the early states. Well, so far, it looks like it's working, at least by the numbers well, the polls, in Iowa. You know, the polls uh, are doing well. The polls are doing well. And, uh, you know, he is doing well in the polls. And, you know, I... Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I do think Pete is going to end up cooked. I think that, you know, Pete kind of goes through this cycle where every single time, you know, he's had a he's had a moment. He's had a moment or two before. And every single time he has a moment, he starts like catching like people start doing any scrutiny of him. And it just like, you know, kind of falls apart. I mean, you know, you look at like 
when when you look at his like history as mayor uh, uh, of South Bend, it's not good. When you look at his history, you know, of uh, sort of racial politics, it's not good. And then when you look at his actual work history, it's not good. And, you know, I also do think, you know, that <laughs> he's trying to paint himself as a young Obama or as, you know, a kind of new Obama. And he says this thing of he's like, I'm a young man uh, with a funny name or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. He's. I don't think you're much of a new Obama when you poll at zero percent with black people <laughs> and at two percent with people under thirty-five years old. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is. I mean, if we were going to talk about the Obama coalition, those are obviously two legs of that stool. So uh, he would. Yeah. He would certainly need to improve there. You know, the only thing that I would say about Mayor Pete is that he kind of is, in terms of record, the inverse of Bernie, where, you know, if if you can say that Bernie's problem is, OK, well, everybody knows exactly what he's up to and what he's he's about. And so therefore you can attack him on that. Uh, Buttigieg has nothing, really, you know, and that's sure. why we're scratching back through his McKinsey logs, because. What else are we going to talk about in terms well, of his I mean, past? Look, you know, just I also this... think that, you know, the, the campaign sort of made this a thing unto itself. I mean, like, obviously, it's going to raise a red flag that somebody can't talk about, like, three years of their history when they're, number one, like, 35 years old. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's a big element of it, too, because people are like, he's 25. And I was like, yeah, but he's like. 30 now (laughs) there's not a lot to work with right like and you know i think it does inform i'm like you know the very fact that he did go to work in the private sector you know used his harvard education to go you know do that kind of work kind of like does inform you know what kind of person he is and then yeah i mean like if you look at the record of the actual work yes he was probably just following orders but you know, it seems like those orders might have been to do uh, bread price fixing in Canada and, you know, uh, <laughs> like money saving for Blue Cross in Michigan, which is a swing state we need to win. Um, you know, uh, uh, I just don't know. I'm like, uh, Pete, Mayor Pete is like, I, I, you know, I think this election has just been between Biden and Bernie. That's and I that's sort of like still how I feel. And, you know, there's a part of me even that kind of feels like these you know, moments where somebody like has a big moment are like a little bit manufactured. Like you'll see a lot of uptick of coverage on Mayor Pete, um, and, you know, in conjunction with a big ad buy he's doing in Iowa, like right before a poll is done. So, so you, like so that. you, you look at the, the, the Beto Kamala Pete that they are in just one basket of, uh, of candidates that the media is desirous to make bigger than they are. Yeah. Or like, you know, donors and establishment people. Like, I think what we're about to see after Buttigieg has his surge ends or whatever is I really believe we're about to see Klobuchar momentum. Everybody's going to start talking about Amy Klobuchar very, very soon. They they want to. They want. I mean, uh, I I, I think they're I think that uh, Klobuchar is the next one after Pete to be like maybe them, because I think everybody in in their heart of hearts knows that Biden put Biden on stage with Trump in a debate. It's like not good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's not good. I think we all know in our heart of hearts that it's not good. And I think they all don't want Bernie who has like pretty clearly been in second place the entire race and, uh, you know, has also uh, suffered from a, a, you know, I would say like a, a pretty significant media blackout for the entirety of the race, which in my opinion, I think is going to uh, backfire on them a little bit because Bernie's just like been hit with zero scrutiny for the entire, for like the entire race. Uh, Yeah. And and there's, and there's, there's, there's stuff at the end, but everyone's going to be, but he's going to have one, maybe two or three primaries already. Yeah. Cause there is stuff that I think Bernie could get hit on that uh, has not (laughs) come up yet, which is surprising. 
Uh, all right, Jack, uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us. A struggle Session is your pop culture podcast. Jack AM is your morning show, and that can be found on Twitch. And, of course, the legendary voluminous at Jack. <laughs> what is it? Uh, uh, Jack Allison, Allison LOL. LOL. There we uh, go. Which stands for Let's Order Lunch. Uh, thanks for having me. It's good to, good to talk to you again. Absolutely. Politics! All right. Uh, we're going to get to our uh, next interview in a second, but a few things. Number one, if you want to support this show, then head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. TakePoliticsSeriously.com funds this entire operation, and it's going to get a lot more expensive in the next year as I hit the road. I'm already committed to go to Iowa. I'm committed to go to Nevada, and I'm committed to go to California, which will be easy because I live here, and Florida for those states in the primaries. If you want to get me to more states, well... There's one way you can do it. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you're at the $3 level, you get two bonus podcasts each and every week. And those are only going to get more important as we get into the campaign season. Also, the campaign undertaker visited us over the last week. Kamala Harris dropped out of the race. And that means that we've got some swag to give away. Yep, a Kamala Harris for Iowa sign. And that is going to go to Derek Long. Thank you very much. And we also have a Joe Sestak flyer. That is going to go to Alfred Guerrero. So if you are either Derek Long or Alfred Guerrero, thank you very much. Go ahead and email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. One last thing, new episode of Raise the Dead is up. That is my brand new history series. Uh, It's been an amazing reaction. You guys have have reacted uh, just fantastically to it uh, as much as as I could have ever dreamed. The new episode uh, details the beginning of the modern primary system. In 1960, the primary system, the way we know it, doesn't exist. There are nine contests Only a handful of them award delegates, and if you won all of them, they were nowhere near enough delegates to matter at the convention. JFK changes all of that, but we also see some colorful characters pop up, up to and including the fact that Eleanor Roosevelt tries to kill the JFK campaign before it even gets going. Raise the dead. Available now on any and all podcasting platforms. Politics! And then we can get on with all the things that I think the people of this country really want to to focus on. That is Boris Johnson. And what you are listening to right now is an official post on the Conservative Party YouTube channel. It is lo-fi Boris Wave beats to relax and get Brexit done to, (laughs) which I thought was pretty funny. But it is the theme song for our conversation about the UK elections, which are taking place tomorrow, December the 12th. To talk about that, we have our, our expert on British elections the UK correspondent based in Los Angeles <laughs> and of no UK descent. It is Tom Merritt. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, I'm fantastic. So I described at the top of the podcast that this election is effectively a, a groundhog day of sorts. And if Boris Johnson doesn't see his shadow, 
then we're doomed to another four decades of Brexit. Yes, uh, we might be anyway. Uh, it's it's really it's really hard to say. But uh, if anything, you know, you you've recast uh, Theresa May's role as Boris Johnson in this dark reimagining of the UK election. <laughs> a gritty, a gritty reboot. Yeah. All right. So so let's let's set it there. Uh, a, a recap for everybody: the first time that a conservative prime minister called for an election so they could get enough of a parliamentary advantage to push through Brexit. Uh, well, I I don't have the, all the numbers uh, in front of me, so well, no, I, just, I can't just be as the basics, the basics. precise as I would like. But yeah, basically, the the thing to remember is that this has been done twice before, and every time it's been a worse result. <laughs> uh, because after Brexit, they thought, well, you know what, we need to have a mandate, uh, and so let's let's have a mandate uh, because people voted for Brexit, and we're the party to to bring you Brexit, and they lost seats, and so that's when Theresa May had to go into coalition with the DU. UP from Ireland, uh, which is one of the main reasons that Brexit was so troublesome for Theresa May to get through. Uh, that that has led us to Boris Johnson taking over for Theresa May. A lot of people in the U.S. may may not realize that when Boris Johnson became prime minister, he didn't get elected. Uh, Theresa May stepped down. Uh, it it was sort of like it's not as as Titanic in a parliamentary system as as a Nixon resigning, but it was no. it was basically Theresa May saying, you know what, I'm not going to lead the party anymore, and therefore I shouldn't be prime minister anymore. So the party had an election yeah. of its members. They voted for Boris Johnson to be the leader of the party, thus giving him the chance to take over as prime minister. So what Johnson has done now is say, look, we're so hamstrung with this minority government that I'm running. Let's go to the people and get a majority, which is exactly what Theresa May tried to do right after Brexit. Uh, and uh, it did not work out well for her. It may work out better for Boris this time. Uh, that That's all to be told on the 12th. So the argument for this strategy is that Boris Johnson, who was very instrumental in the Leave vote itself, is mm. more of an animator for Leave voters to come out and once and for all give the conservatives a majority and push this forward. Even beyond that, Boris Johnson has the very clear message of Let's get Brexit done. Uh, there's a little bit of talk of 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 you know spending money here and there to support things as there is in any election. But the the focus of the Tories, the focus of the Conservative Party is let's get Brexit done. And everyone you talk to in England wants Brexit done. <laughs> they're just yeah. they're pretty much tired of it. Even even people who want to remain are tired of it. So the the chance here for for the Conservatives is that with Boris Johnson being a true Brexit person uh, and people so tired of this and they might switch over, especially labor voters who voted to leave. That's one of the, the targets that the conservatives have been going after is places where labor usually carries the MP, but that constituency voted to leave. Maybe they can sway those people to vote conservative this one time, at least just to get Brexit done. Now, that brings us to another factor that was very much a thorn in Theresa May's side when she tried to call for an election for a larger majority, and that is Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn, who uh, was is, is the head of the Labor Party, was thought to be a, a Labor PM uh, uh, or a Labor prime minister uh, earlier in his career, has this big resurgence when Theresa May 
uh, calls for the elections. Uh, there's a big youth movement. Does that seem to be happening again this time? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, what's interesting is, on the one hand, we're seeing a focus, at least in the polls, on labor and conservative. Yeah. Uh, the, liber the liberal Democrats came out with a focused message of their own, which I, I thought was a smart move because labor's message is muddled. We'll get to that. The Lib Dems said, we're the party of Remain. We're going to do another referendum. So it was very yeah. clear and focused. And and a lot of people thought, well, that might work. They might, they might steal some seats from both sides uh, and cause a minority government. It doesn't look like that's happening. It looks like the weariness with all of this is that people are not attracted to the idea of another referendum. And so the focus has come in on labor and, and conservative. But there are a lot of fears on the labor side that they are too far to the left by some of the people in the middle, which is driving some people to maybe vote conservative. And the message from the Labor Party has been about the NHS. Uh, they've they've been push, pushing the national health care system and trying to raise fears that if Boris Johnson stays as prime minister, he's going to sell out the health system to the United States. And it's going to lose all this money, kind of mirroring the scare tactics of the Brexit campaign that Boris Johnson left led with the famous bus that said, you know, all this money could be going to the NHS that's going to Europe. So I, I think labor had an interesting strategy there of using the conservatives tactics against them, but it doesn't seem like it's really resonating and working with the moderate voters, which is what you need to win this election. I think. Yeah. Can you, can you fill me in on that? Cause that's something that I, I saw like th that the NHS is going to get sold out to Trump. And and I couldn't even obviously we we have a lot on our plate here with American politics, but I couldn't even wrap my head around what the hell that meant. Well, the the idea is that if the United Kingdom is no longer in the European Union, it will okay. be free to make trade negotiations with the United States. And right now, the NHS uh, has a lot of deals with European providers uh, that 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 give medicines and 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 you know supplies and and expertise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea was, if Boris Johnson is free to make deals with the U.S. after this, he'll just sell out. He'll essentially privatize the NHS to U.S. companies in some trade deal, and U.S. insurance companies will come over and be running the NHS. And and you know how horrible it is in the United States. Everyone just walks around with broken bones because they can't afford to go to the doctor. And then, do you want that here? Like, gotcha. It's okay. Mostly silly scare tactic. Yes, because obviously there would be a trade deal between America and the UK, but, right. but that would be, and, that, and would be that would be, that would be a, a dystopian worst case scenario. It's quite possible that there, there would be, uh, uh, some opportunity for, for United States companies, uh, to, to increase their involvement in healthcare in the United Kingdom. But it doesn't from anything I've read seem like it's anywhere on the level of, you know, giving away 500 million pounds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it if I remember correctly, Corbyn's big gambit when the May election was called was to increase benefits and, you know, cancel debts and stuff like that. Uh, uh, that that does not seem to be the push this time. Well, it's still there. Uh, it's just that they've, they've really focused on this. You know, we're we're going to we're going to privatize industry. We're going to we're going to spend money uh, on you, the people. We're going to shift the power away from the from the fat cats and this healthcare promise or fear at uh, however you want to look at it, it is seems to be the centerpiece of, of the message and then it, do i i think i remember i'm literally just throwing this out here something about anti-semitism 
Is there an anti-Semitism yeah, thing? That's a that's a Jeremy Corbyn specific one uh, that has now spread to the rest of the party that in their very staunch support of Palestine, uh, labor sometimes treads close to or, in some people's opinion, over into gotcha. anti-Semitism. And Corbyn in particular has been guilty of a few gaffes in that area. And so now it seems as if this is playing out well for Boris, right? He's, uh, you know, the, 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 the party, the opposition party with the clearest message is the Liberal Democrats. They've always been, uh, uh, historically at least, and also ran, and now Brexit weariness has, has maybe diminished the idea for a referendum. Is this going to play out for him? Do you think that this is going to be the moment where Boris gets the hammer that can push through Brexit? Uh, it's impossible to say at the moment that we're recording, if that's going to happen, <laughs> of course, but the best guesses and mind you, the best guesses on Theresa May's last election, the best guesses on the Brexit election, the best guesses on David Cameron's, uh, election have all been wrong. So, yeah. uh, I, I, I very carefully put that caveat out, but what we're seeing from the polls in the UK is that it looks like the conservatives have a good chance of getting a majority government. And if not, at least being able to coalition a minority government, possibly with the Lib Dems, which they've done before, possibly uh, with other parties like the DUP, and that the liberal Democrats are not going to pick up a lot of seats. Labor might lose seats and the SNP, the Scottish Nationalist Party, is going to stay very strong. Uh, the one exception to the we're tired of Brexit is Scotland, which really is kind of tempered less with we're tired of Brexit and more with if you're going to Brexit and be a mess like this, we'd rather leave. Yeah. Uh, so the SNP is not really running on Scottish independence, but dropping lots of hints of you know what, we, we're we the party that's going to get Scotland out. We're going to do another referendum in Scotland on Scottish independence uh, if this all goes south. And in Scotland, that plays no matter what. It's like, great, leave or, leave or stay. I don't, you know, I don't really care if I can get Scotland out of it. And then Scotland generally is a remain area. It would like to remain in the European Union. Uh, it'd be perfectly happy to do that, it seems, as an independent Scotland. Uh, at, at least that seems to be the prevailing sentiment. So you can expect the SNP to do well. And possibly if Labour surprised us, maybe Labour goes into coalition with the SNP. That's that's an outside possibility. But it really looks good for the Conservatives right now. And that's the, the one thing that did exist, at least in my cursory understanding of the election, was that you did see this late in the game, because we were recording this the day before they, you know, the, the vote happens. You did see this surge in kind of Corbin mania was running wild. You know, there, there was a surge in Labour. Uh, uh, on on the eve of the election that you're definitely not seeing this time. That That's the only thing that from across the pond seems clear trend-wise. Yeah, I I, I I get mixed signals on that depending on where I read. Uh, it, it seems like there's a, a increase in enthusiasm, but not necessarily translating so much into votes. Um, the the one thing that, that is definitely happening is we're seeing more of a U.S.-style campaign. Uh, one of the things that has given Corbin a boost is a very famous now picture of a, a young child sitting on the floor in a hospital. And someone took this picture and gave it to Boris Johnson and said, look at this child. They can't even afford to find a seat for him in the hospital. And Boris refused to look at it at first. Yeah. And which is 
this is has nothing to do with funding the NHS. Has nothing to do with conservative <laughs> plans for. It's it's a pure headline grabbing moment, uh, and one of those few moments where where Boris didn't quite make the astute media savvy move that he should have by just picking it up and making a famous Boris quip. Yeah. Uh, you know, instead he didn't look at it, and that became the headline, uh, and that that did seem to give Boris or Corbyn a little bit of a boost in the media, but I'm not sure that it's translating into the polls. So, all right, let's let's draw this out a little bit and let's assume that Boris does, that the, the conservatives do get what they want, which is a, a, a majority government in parliament. That means that our side quest into election is over and we resume our main quest of Brexit. Does that even guarantee that they can get this done if they have a majority government? Because they seemed yeah. close before. Well, and the the thing to remember is w- there was a deal and the and the deal has been approved. It's just that the parliament wanted to set a longer timeline to talk about some of the points of the deal. And Johnson just wanted to hammer it through because he had said, I will get Brexit done. Uh, He also didn't want to have amendments. He didn't want to deal with changes to it. Uh, And so his line was, they're trying to undermine the deal I did and make it worse. Uh, So if he gets a majority, I think it's pretty clear that he will push that deal through with little to no problem. Uh, And then we'll start to realize, oh, wait, getting the the exit deal was not the same as getting a trade deal. That, that's that been yeah. lost in a lot of this is once this deal is done, that just says, great, the UK is no longer part of the EU, but it's still going to abide by all these EU regulations for the next several years while it negotiates with the European Union what the trade deal between the UK and the EU is. And that could still end up in a no deal. Uh, we haven't taken no deal off the table. We just kicked it down the road. So a no trade deal that that that, right. they, that now all of a sudden, uh, if if the European Union and this is really where the European Union needs to stand firm because whether or not the UK is in the union, the thing that they that, that the EU desperately wants is to show that life outside the European Union is not a good one. Right. That, that, that they don't want other countries to say, oh, look, here's a, a, a you can leave the European Union and still experience so many of the benefits. This seems like a really cool idea, especially for yeah. its its, you know, richer countries that have a, a outsized influence on the entire whole. Right. And 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 that that is going to be the thing that will bite Boris Johnson uh, if he does win this majority and does get this pushed through is people will say, great, we're done with Brexit. You said you'd get Brexit done. We're done with Brexit. And then suddenly the coverage will be, well, sort of. We have temporary rules and there'll be new deadlines coming in a couple of years. He'll be able to avoid that you know, for, for a while, but eventually those deadlines will come up and, and those trade negotiations are not going to be any easier to deal with, uh, than, than the current ones, maybe a tiny bit easier because they have somewhat come up with a solution for the Irish situation, but that's likely to have more problems and people to question it. Uh, so I wouldn't expect that we don't, I, I would expect that we don't, that we see an election, again before a trade deal is up because we're going to we're going to go through all of this again once we get close to a trade deal deadline because no one can agree what that trade deal should be any more than what they could agree what the conditions for the exit could be but this is a very pivotal one for johnson not only it being his first election but also if you're in for a penny to get that that he was the guy who was able to get us out then you're probably in for the pound 
oh, sure. that that he's going to be the one to negotiate the trade deal. The the thing is, it was a little bit easier, not a lot, but a little bit easier for Johnson uh, to push this across because he knew the mistakes Theresa May had made, and he's savvy enough to know what would play with voters, and and he's played this game very well. It's all reset. The game goes back to zero uh, <laughs> if he gets the majority and gets the Brexit deal approved uh, to where he he's now in uncharted territory again. And, and we'll see if he can pull it off a second time. He's going to have to. That is an interesting way to look at it, that this election is not so much about Brexit as it is defeating Remain. Like right. this is the final defeat of Remain, because at this stage, it is the last way station for you to possibly call a referendum and say, ah, well, whatever, four years ago, who knew who we were thinking? Let's just go ahead and get back to the way things used to be. Once they're out, they're out. But now the real Brexiting begins, the, the hard negotiations. <laughs> the of, difficult of, Brexiting. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, I don't, don't expect like. that, that, that maybe Tony Blair and a few others might still be pushing for a way back in. Uh, that, that spirit will never die, but the momentum for remain seems to have gone out during this election, especially when you see Lib Dems pushing remain and not making any traction and labor, just not even bothering to talk about remain. It, it seems like the country sure, cer certainly there are staunch remainers that are still very excited about it, but the, the folks in the middle are just tired of it all and just want it to be done. Oh, man. Uh, all right. Are, are there any other little tidbits uh, that, that we might have missed here that that your eagle eye, uh, your your eagle anglophile eye uh, has has caught in this election? Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I, I think a couple of things that I would look for is conservatives turning labor seats. So as you see the returns come in, look for those, especially in the Midlands, especially in Wales that are very staunchly labor areas. If conservative starts to turn some of those seats, that's going to be very good news for Boris Johnson uh, and his party. And also, I think one thing that's been underreported is, is the topic of climate change and how that might play in on this. There are a few people who think when voters go to the polls that climate change, because it's been so top of mind and, and covered a lot, despite not really being as pushed as Brexit in the election might dictate some voters' priorities, which could cause some surprise surprises out there. So if there's a random uh, factor to keep an eye on, look at that. Uh, but the, the who, who would who would that who would that who would that benefit if, all, if if people are are motivated by climate change? Who gets the votes there? Probably benefits the liberal Democrats, uh, pro or labor. Probably if it benefits labor the most. Uh, a little bit for Green as a possible coalition uh, party and maybe the Lib Dems. I mean, but that's what makes it so weird, right? Is that you don't even know. It's like, okay, well, if you really care about the polar, if I show you a picture of a melting polar ice cap right before you walk in, the fact that you don't immediately know the action to take is a little confusing. Yeah, well, and, and because we're talking about not people who are, I'm a conservative versus I'm a labor, we're talking about people like, you know what, I'm labor, but I just might vote conservative because I'm tired of it all. That that leaves the voter to do something last minute like that as they walk into the booth. It's a great point. All right. So watch Wales, watch the Midlands. Uh, uh, anything else for the informed PX3 listener? No, I think that I think that covers it. I the, listen, I I actually uh, I, I'm sort of different in that I, I enjoy following the government 
uh, more than the elections <laughs> yeah. in the UK because the elections are, are very short. Uh, so I, I'm actually more excited for this to just be uh, just be done, find out who the winners are and get to the the business of forming a government and, and dealing with this Brexit. I think that's where the, the real entertaining part of this is for me. Now, the obviously May had to form the, the coalition with the DUP. Is there any sense from them that they were happy or unhappy? Because obviously they were the ones that had to deal with the brunt of the Irish backstop stuff, right? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know if I have an answer uh, for that. They, they weren't happy with Johnson's deal, but they eventually came around to it uh, sort of begrudgingly. And I don't know if the election changes that, and I don't know what conditions would, would cause that to be changed. Certainly if the conservatives can pull off their own majority, it won't matter because no. they won't need to go into coalition. Yeah. And they can just let everybody know this is, this is the deal. We're going to move yeah. forward. Uh, all right, Tom, thank you so, so much uh, for joining us here on the show. I knew we had to get your voice on before the vote tomorrow. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you afterward as we can uh, deal with all the fallout in the weeks to come. Can't wait. Politics. And that will bring us to the end of our show today. I want to thank our Titanic $10 tier over there at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, Squid's Mixtape, Jamie, Ryan, Adam, Jonathan, D-Laser, Andy, Paul, Mike, and Brad. You can join them by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I also want to remind everybody that I got a free political newsletter. You can get it at FreePoliticalNewsletter.com. Oh, yeah, it's just that easy. Head on over there. What you're going to do is sign up. I'm going to send you five emails a week, every week, forever, until the heat death of the universe, five stories a day, mostly gifts, sometimes those sweet, sweet political insights that you can repeat without crediting me to your friends so you can seem super smart. Of course, you can email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Trop Killers, and you can follow me at Justin R. Young everywhere. That is it for us today. Until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young reminding you that politics has three names, and some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics. And there was one the other day I saw that talked about politics, but this, my friends, is the only show that talks about Oh, Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>